If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. When I was growing up, we had something that I hardly ever see anymore. We had full-service gas stations. Hardly ever see those anymore. You, you would drive into the gas station. You would stay in your car. They would come out and they would pump your gas. They would get you to pop your hood. They would check your oil. They would check your other fluids. They would wash your windshield. They would check the air in your tire. They would do all that with a smile because they were a full service gas station. We all love to be served. We always have and we always will. That's why we enjoy going out to eat. I mean, when we cook at home, we've got to do the preparation. We've got to sit the table. We've got to clean up the dishes. If we want a refill, we have to go and get it. If we want some more tea, some more Pepsi, some more water, we've got to get it. But when we go out to eat, we can go in and we can sit at our table and we can tell our waitress or our waiter what we want to drink and they bring it to us. We can tell them what we want to eat and they bring it to us. They serve us. They give us refills if we want that. They bring us dessert if we want that. And all we have to do is sit down and enjoy our meal and, and talk to our spouse or the person we're with or or in our day and age, we would scroll through Facebook. We love to be served. That's why us guys oftentimes will go to a car wash or we'll find someone to come and wash our car. I mean, even though we can get a bucket and we can get a hose and we can get a sponge and we can wash our car and we can dry it and we can vacuum it out, we just love to be served. And that's why many of you ladies, or at least some of you ladies, and perhaps some of you men, you love to go get that manicure and that pedicure. You sit there and you soak your hands or you soak your toes. And they massage you and clean your nails and then paint them up real pretty. And all the time you're just sitting there relaxing or or reading a magazine. We love to be served. And, and we've even taken that attitude into the church. We love to be served. And many of us, and perhaps most of us, choose a church based on how that church serves us. How that church meets our needs or meets the needs of our family. And that's all right. That's okay. But, but what you need to understand is the Bible never taught that. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible never says that, that you and I are called to be served. But what the Bible does say very clearly is that you and I are called to serve one another. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're, we're in week five of our series that we are calling one another. How we are to live in community as the body of Christ, the, the family of faith. And, 
And perhaps there is no other time in human history than now that we need to be reminded of this because because it seems like we are more self-centered and self-absorbed than ever before. It seems that we are more likely to do what Paul calls biting and devouring one another, destroying one another, than we are to love one another, to care for one another, and, and build one another up. So far as we've gone through this series, we, we've seen that, that we as the family of faith are to be devoted to one another. We are to work things out rather than walk away when things get tough. And yet most of us walk away. We are to stick with others when other people step out. We are to be devoted. We are to be committed to one another. We've discovered that we are to encourage one another. We are to build one another up. We are literally to walk side by side with one another through life, helping each other become all that God has created us to be. And, and we discovered that, that this word for encourage, it's the same word that Jesus uses to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when you and I walk beside others to build them up and to strengthen them and and help them through life, we're doing the same thing that the Holy Spirit does. We discovered that we are to accept one another when it comes to the disputable matters of the faith. This isn't saying that we never judge and make judgments about things. We can and we should and And we do on certain things. There are essentials in the faith that we need to say these things are right. And there are other things that we need to say these things are wrong. And and yet we must understand that there are disputable matters when it comes to the faith. There are theological matters that, that people love Jesus and believe the word of God disagree on. And there are personal matters, there are preferences where, where you may sit back and say, well, that's not for me and my family, and yet the Bible never clearly addresses it, so we need to be careful not to place our standards on other people. We need to understand that in life, there are times that we're going to disagree, there are times that we're not going to see eye to eye on every issue, and And when it comes to these disputable matters, we accept one another. Last week, we discovered that we are to pray for one another. We are to take one another's hurts and pains and struggles to the throne of God. We are to intercede for them. And hopefully, you heard that that the majority of our time in prayer shouldn't be spent praying for ourselves. That's rather selfish. The majority of our time that we spend in prayer should be praising God for who he is and what he's done and then lifting other people's needs before the throne of God. People who are in our family, people who are in our family of faith, people who we want to be in the family of faith, missionaries, church planners around our nation, around the world. We're to spend our time praying for them, but today... We're, we're going we're gonna to discover that, that we are to pick up our towel. We're to take off our robe. We're to bend down 
And we are to serve one another just like Jesus did. Now, if your Bible's open, I, I want you to see what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says, God has given each of you a gift from his wide variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Did you get that? The Bible says that God has a, a wide variety, a great variety of gifts, and and God decides who he's going to give what gifts to out of that great variety of gifts. But then he tells us that he gives us these gifts so that we can serve one another. Now, now most of us, when we, when we think about serving, we think about taking a position in the church, don't we? Let's be honest. I mean, whenever we talk about serving especially from the stage, from the platform, we naturally think that we're talking about serving in a position in the church. I'm going to serve in the preschool ministry. I'm going to serve in the children's ministry. I'm, I'm going to serve in the, the, the um, student ministry. I, I'm going to teach a class, or I'm going to sing in the choir, or, or I'm going to be an usher or a greeter. We think about serving in ministries like Upward, or, or we think about volunteering at Mission Columbia. And all of those things are important. I mean, to be honest with you, we, we couldn't do the ministries we do as a church unless somebody steps up to the plate and serves. But we need to understand that service is much more than that. You see, to serve is to move from the position of having someone meet your needs to the position of meeting someone else's needs. Serving is, is focusing on helping others rather than focusing on helping ourselves. It's not just about finding a job or, or finding a task in the church. Now, there are two different Greek words that are used in the New Testament for, for these words, serve or servant. The first one is diakonos, and it, it literally describes a servant, someone who waits on others. This word diakonos can describe someone who serves others either as a volunteer or as someone who is paid. But their task, their position is to serve. The other word is the Greek word doulos, which describes a slave. Now, this slave may be a voluntary slave. That sounds unusual to us, but, but this slave could be a voluntary slave or an involuntary slave. But as a doulos, a slave, they have relinquished their rights in order to serve their master. But here's what we need to understand. Regardless of his, whether it's that, that word diakonos or that word doulos, whenever we begin to serve others, we are taking a position of humility. We are lowering ourselves. And let me just tell you, in biblical days, you did not take the position of a servant or a slave unless it was the only position that you could get. 
Now in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10, the word that Peter uses for serve is the word diakonos. It it means someone who is paid or, or someone who is a volunteer. They're not a slave, they're a servant. And he says, I've given you these gifts so that you can serve voluntarily other people. But I want you to look at another verse. It's not on your note sheet. You're going to have to look it up. Or you're going to have to write it in the margin of your Bible and look at it later. But it's Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. Now the word Paul uses for serve is is the word that comes from that word doulos, the word for slave, someone who has no rights. They belong to someone else. And here's what Paul was saying there. He is saying as Christians, we have been set free. We are no longer slaves. But, Don't use your freedom to meet your needs. Instead, use your freedom to become a slave to other people. Now, I got to tell you, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the Apostle Paul was saying that, that when we become Christians, we are set free, and yet we turn around and we give up our freedom to serve other people. But we're not doing it out of obligation. He says we are doing it out of love. In other words, what the Apostle Paul was saying is this. When Jesus comes into our life, he so transforms us that now, We have a desire to do the work of a slave. Now we have the desire to meet the needs of other people. And and let's be honest, that's difficult to grasp. And yet God says that he wants to suspend our lives serving others, meeting the needs of others, focusing on other people rather than focusing on ourselves. Now, obviously, Jesus is the perfect example of that, isn't he? He came out of heaven, came to earth as the king of kings, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for us. But some of us, in our brains and in our minds, we say, yes, but that's Jesus. He he was God in the flesh. And so let's look at a regular old human being. If you got your Bibles, her story is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through through 39. Her name was Tabitha. She was also called Dorcas, but, but this is what it said about her. This is her story. It says, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes that 
Dorcas had made for them. You see, Dorcas or Tabitha was this great example of, of someone who served others. She was, she was a part of the church in Joppa, and she had this ability, this special ability to sew and make clothing. But what made her special was she used her abilities to serve others. And she was such a servant to the people of God at the church of Joppa that when she died, she left this great void in the church and in the lives of the people that she touched. And that's how each of us should strive to live our lives. Serving others and meeting the needs of others to the point that when we pass from this life into the next life. We are going to leave a great void because we have touched so many lives not through our prestige and not through our fame, but we have touched so many lives simply by serving people. You see, God's word is clear. This is a big deal. And so in light of the fact that, that you and I are commanded to serve one another, and God says this is a big deal, I want to give you five truths that I think can help you be better motivated to serve and can also help you better serve. Here's truth number one. Greatness is found not in our status, but in our service. Let me say that again. Our greatness is not found in our status. Our greatness is found in our service. It seems that, that from the beginning of time, we have equated greatness with, with the seat of honor, with the corner office, with the title or position that we hold. But, but Jesus made it clear that our greatness, as far as his kingdom is concerned, has to do with our service. Listen to what it says in, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? Evidently, the disciples were, were talking about something among themselves as they were on this journey to Capernaum. They didn't answer him because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. In other words, they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed about what they had been discussing. Well, the truth is, and you know this, you can't hide anything from Jesus. He didn't ask them what they had been discussing because he didn't know. He asked them what they had been discussing so that they could just share. But they didn't. So it says, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first among you must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And so here's Jesus. He's walking with his disciples on the road and his disciples are behind him and they're bickering about who is going to be greatest. Now before you get self-righteous and before you begin to say, well, those old disciples they were just so immature, you need to remember that we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, don't we jockey for positions at work? Don't we jockey for positions at school? Don't we even jockey for positions at home? It, it seems like this desire 
for greatness is in our human nature. But what Jesus did is he stepped in and he gave them an insight into greatness. He said, whoever wants to be first must be last and become the servant of everyone. In other words, greatness is found in serving. And greatness isn't just found in serving anyone. Greatness is found in serving everyone. Now, evidently, James and John didn't get the message. Because a short time later, actually in the very next chapter in Mark's gospel, James and John, these two brothers, come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, Lord, will you give us the position of highest honor in your kingdom? And so Jesus had just said, here's how you discover greatness. And they've already forgotten everything that Jesus said. They came to him and said, Lord, we want those positions of greatness in your kingdom. And again, Jesus said, whoever wants to be greatest must be your servant. Now again, before you begin to criticize them for desiring greatness, you need to understand something. Jesus did not criticize them for desiring greatness. Did you hear me? This is big. This is important. Jesus didn't criticize them for desiring greatness. But what Jesus did do was he redefined greatness. Jesus said the path to greatness isn't found by climbing the ladder, but rather the path to greatness is found by descending the ladder and becoming the servant to everyone. Tony Evans said it this way. He said, when you serve, God recognizes kingdom greatness in you. You see, serving others is our pathway to significance and greatness in life. You may never be the president of the United States or, or the president of a company. You may never make decisions that affect hundreds and thousands of people. But if you make it your goal, if you have it as your aim to serve other people, then Jesus said, you can be great. And so to desire greatness, eternal greatness, greatness that will last, then Jesus said, the way you find it is by becoming a servant, serving everyone. Second truth, every believer is uniquely gifted for service. Here's what I know. God has given each of us a task to perform. And when God gives us a task to perform, he gives us the tools that we need to perform that task. God never gives us a job without giving us the tools to accomplish that job. Look at 1 Peter 4 verse 10 again. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. 
But what this verse tells us is that God is a, a God of a variety. He, he didn't create us on an assembly line. He took his time. He made us by hand just the way he wanted. And when he did, he then gave us certain gifts and certain abilities that we have that no one else may have so that we can do the things that he created us to do. And understand, he didn't give us those gifts and abilities to pad our pocketbooks. He didn't give us those gifts and abilities so that we can climb the ladder. He gave us those gifts and abilities so that we can serve one another. And what that means is, if if we're not using the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to serve one another, we're being disobedient to God and we're robbing the body, the family of faith, of blessings because God has given us these gifts so that we can serve. Now sometimes it takes a whole lot of gifts and abilities to serve. Would you agree? But sometimes all it takes is willingness. Would you agree with that? I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of specialized training and ability to rake a yard. I mean, anybody really can that has hands can do that. It doesn't take a whole lot of gifts and abilities to, to sweep a floor. I mean, really, anybody that is willing can do that. Would you agree? But then there are some things that that take a little more training. For instance, you wouldn't want someone to say, hey, I want to serve you by changing your brake pads. And you go, man, thank you so much. Have you ever done this before? And they said, no, you're the first. I'm going to use you as my guinea pig. I think most of us would say, boy, thank you so much for the offer, but Man, I'm going to pass until you try this out a little bit. And it even takes more specialized training to, to operate on someone. But you see, each of these things can be things that we do to serve others. We can rake someone's yard as an act of service. We can sweep someone's floor as an act of service. We can change someone's brake pads as an act of service. If we have the specialized training, we can go overseas and operate on people or we can work at a free clinic as an act of service. Now, here's what I know. God has uniquely made each and every one of us. We've got a class, and I don't want to plug that class, but I'm going to plug that class. It's one of our four main classes we teach. It's called Finding Your Stride. And in that class, Finding Your Stride, what we say is God has uniquely made each of us with a different stride as we run the race of life. And our stride is made up of five different things that make you you. The first one is your spiritual gifts. We all have spiritual gifts. The, the primary place that spiritual gifts are found in God's Word are Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that every single believer has at least one spiritual gift. A spiritual gift was given to you at your conversion. 
When you were saved, God said, I am going to give you this gift as a birthday present. Use it wisely. So you have a spiritual gift. You say, how do I discover my spiritual gift? Well, you can take a spiritual gift test. You can find those online. You can try trial and error. I think that's the best way. But you look at these spiritual gifts and you go, okay, you know, God, what spiritual gift do I have? Because God's given you one. And then each of us also have unique natural talents and abilities. Take Tabitha, for instance. Sewing isn't a spiritual gift, but it is a natural ability. Now, who gave Tabitha that natural ability? God did. And so a natural talent is just as spiritual as a spiritual gift. Your natural talent was simply given to you at your physical birth. Your spiritual gift was given to you at your spiritual birth. Now I know what some of you are saying right now. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. And that's just not true. It's just not true. Statistics reveal that the average person has between 500 and 700 skills. 500 and 700 skills. Have you ever been around someone and you've said, wow, that person is just good with math? You ever seen someone like that? Or, or I mean, someone just has a natural ability to take things apart and then put it back together. Or someone, even as a young child, is able to sing on key. And we can go on and on and on. These are natural abilities that God has given us. And, and just as we use our spiritual gifts for God's glory, we use our natural talents and abilities for God's glory. And, and then we all have various um, individual personalities. God has given each of us different, unique personalities. Some of us are introverted. Some of us are extroverted. The, the people who study these things tell us there are four major personalities. You have your influencers that take charge. You have your informers that, that love to express and communicate. You have investigators that love to analyze and they love the details. And then you have the investors. They just love to care for people. They're concerned about people. And, and these are our major personality types. Now, now oftentimes, someone who has one personality type who tries to do this skill or this task over here is going to be like a fish out of water because it's just not how they're wired personality-wise. So God's given us a personality and he's given it to us to, to serve him. We say, I wish I was more outgoing. Hey, hey why? God's given you your gifts and abilities. Can I throw something out at you? If you don't believe me, when my wife comes in, she's going to be here at the 1045 service. we got our two grandkids, so she's coming late, telling on her. But when you see her today, ask her, say, hey, is Pastor Rocky an introvert or an extrovert? And you know what she's going to tell you? She's going to say, <laughs> it shocked the, the crazy out of me, but he's an introvert. He would rather be alone by himself than to be among people at any point in time. And yet God called me to stand before people and proclaim his message. Go figure. 
Well, he gave me the gift. I believe he gave me the ability. But to be honest with you, my personality really doesn't go with what he's called me to do. And yet God uses that. And then we have resources, don't we? I mean, some of us have financial resources. Some of us have property resources that we are able to use to serve other people. And so if God has put things in your hands that you have that that the average person doesn't have, maybe he's given you those so that you can use that to serve other people. And then we have the desires of our heart. The Bible says that our heart motivates all that we do. So what is your heart for? I mean, if your heart is for preschoolers, you just love preschoolers, you adore preschoolers, maybe, just maybe, God's saying that the area where you can really serve and make a difference is is with preschoolers. And, And it may be, listen, it may be even volunteering to help a worn out mom out. It doesn't necessarily have to be working in the preschool. I mean, we got, we got stay-at-home moms that have kids that they're taking care of. And, I mean, you can look at them and you can tell where chunks of hair have been pulled out. Not by their kids, but by themselves. I mean, and so wherever your heart is, you can find that place where you can serve. And then our life experiences. God gives us life experiences so that we can use those experiences to serve other people. And, and so what does this say? It's saying that God gifts us with the abilities, with the gifts that we need to serve him. Third thing, our attitude is just as important as our service. Someone has, and I can't even remember who it is right now, but someone has as their slogan... Service with a smile. And all of us should have service with a smile. Jesus said this in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 7. Or Paul said this about Jesus. He said your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus, God in the flesh, took on the attitude of a servant. Zig Ziglar said, your attitude determines your altitude. That's what Jesus said when Jesus said, he who wants to be great must become the servant of all. If you want to fly, you've got to get down on your knees and you've got to serve. Years ago, President John F. Kennedy challenged Americans with his statement, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Service. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, once appeared on their annual report, and he was wearing a a, a knee-length apron, and he was carrying a, a mop, and he had a plastic bucket in front of him, and on it, it said, MBA. And in the article for his shareholders, he said this, I got my MBA long before I got my GED. And if you know anything about Dave Thomas' story, he dropped out of school. 
I got my MBA long before I got my GED, but MBA doesn't mean master of business administration. It means mop bucket attitude. And that's the kind of attitude we need to have. Fourth, we need to serve with passion. Ephesians 6, 7 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not men. Anything worth doing is worth doing with all your heart and with all your strength. If you're going to ever settle for anything less than your best, then certainly don't do it when you're doing it in the name of Jesus. Amen? I mean, if you're going to do a half-hearted job, do it in your name. Don't throw Jesus' name around. God deserves. No, let me change that. God demands our best. And regardless of whether we're scrubbing a toilet, scrubbing a floor, helping to put sheetrock into a house that's been devastated by a flood, whatever we're doing, we do it at our best for the glory of God. And then finally, as we serve, we enjoy ourselves. In Psalm 100 verse 2, David said this. He said, serve the Lord with gladness. When God created us, God created us with a desire to serve. And that service brought joy to our hearts, and it still should. So when we serve, we serve with joy because it should bring joy. Before Jesus was crucified, when he was meeting with his disciples that very last night, and they celebrated the Last Supper, they celebrated Passover together one more time, Jesus did something else that John's gospel tells us that the others don't. Jesus knelt down, took off his robe, took a towel, and he began to wash his disciples' dirty feet. Something that a slave, a servant, was supposed to do. And here's Jesus, their master, who was kneeling down before them, washing their feet. Remember the story, you know, that he got to Peter, and Peter said, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you're not going to have anything to do with me. Peter said, Lord, if that's the case, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands, wash my face, wash my whole body. <laughs> and what Peter was saying in his, his own way is, Lord, I want all of you. But here's Jesus, the Savior of the world, kneeling down, washing their feet. That's what we're called to do. We're called to serve one another. It may be washing their feet. It may be giving them a sponge bath as 
they're struggling with sickness. Maybe going to their house and cooking a meal. It may be cleaning up their house because they're bedridden. It may be going to their yard and raking it up and cutting it and trimming back the hedges. Serving one another can, can look so many different ways. But whenever we serve one another, we're taking that role of the servant. The slave, we're, we're no longer focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on others. It's no longer about having our needs met. It's about meeting other people's needs. That's what God's called us to do. We're to serve one another. And so I challenge you. I plead with you as we seek to be the family of faith that God has called us to be. To learn how. And then put in practice what does it mean to serve one another. But as we close, I'd be amiss if I didn't tell you that after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he got up and he committed the ultimate act of service. He went to the cross and he died as a ransom, as a sacrifice for each of us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free and and so if you're here this morning and you have not received the grace and the mercy of God you don't know what it is to know him personally experience what it means to have his spirit live in you and that's the desire of your heart this morning then I want to encourage you to bow your head with everyone else in here let's bow our heads and if God's speaking to your heart and that's what you need to do I want to encourage you right here, right now to pray this prayer. Dear God, this morning I humbly come before you asking you to forgive my sins. I know that I have rebelled against you. I know that I have disobeyed you. I am so sorry. I'm tired of living that way. I'm turning from that life. And Jesus, I'm turning to you. Today, I'm asking you to save me. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to pay for my sins. Come into my life and take control. Make me brand new, I pray. 